0: Welcome to the For Columbus Podcast,
1: sharing inspiring stories of local faith leaders from congregations, parachurch ministries, and the marketplace with your host, Adam Ward.
0: Well, hello, listeners. Season three marches on, and just because we have a lot of focus on national works doesn't mean we're going to neglect our local community leaders. I was doing some reflection as I was scheduling this guest and I can't believe the number of graduates from Worthington Christian School we have on this show. So if you're a leader at Worthington Christian or the church associated with that, I applaud you for cranking out so many amazing leaders in our community these days. Today I have with me Krista Doherty. She is the VP for the Central Ohio Police Families Association. Krista, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Krista and I go back a few years. Just a little bit. And uh, so I'm really excited to share what she's been working on the past couple of years, what she's doing. She was born at Riverside Hospital, which a couple of our guests have been born at Riverside, and but uh, raised in Delaware, Delaware County her whole life. Uh, Faith was a Pretty big part of when you were a kid, right? Yes. But isn't it like tapered off as you got older?
1: Yeah, we, I would say we went to church as a family a lot when I was a kid, but then as we got older, it was kind of just me going to church, which my dad would drop me off and pick me up on a Sunday morning, which was fine, whatever. But uh, going to Worthington Christian School, I'm a lifer all the way through, so I think that kind of instilled me going to church even on my own as a teenager, middle school and high school, so... Yep. So
0: you're you're going to church every week, and even though your parents are, and I can kind of see the allure of a parent dropping off a kid, <laughs> uh, dropping off a kid at church and then getting some stuff done. But um, no, I mean that's half a joke. But uh, but then when you graduated high school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: something changed because your family life changed, and
1: yes, the dynamic. My senior year, my so my brother and sister are both older than me. So they had already gotten married and moved out and like moved on and had kids actually. So then my senior year, it's just me left at home. And at that time, my parents decided to separate. We still all lived in the same house together. But until I graduated high school, my dad stayed in the house with us. So after I graduated at that point, I think it just kind of made me realize that I had a lot of questions about the way I was raised maybe and that i had a lot of questions for god i felt like if my parents were divorcing which was so against what they had always preached and taught us then what else was it that your whole
0: foundation yeah my
1: foundation was totally rocked so what else was it that wasn't true or wasn't a lie now i wouldn't say you know after discussing some of it like i wouldn't say that i ever walked away from believing in god or believing the way that i believe of like jesus christ being sure. our savior but i definitely walked away from and had a short season of me not caring about anything and
0: so you were a club girl for a couple of years i was
1: definitely a club girl for a couple of years
0: <laughs> you had your fair share of alcohol in that time. i did
1: i did that was definitely my coping mechanism in that season and maybe wasn't the best choice you know but
0: so a bottle of wine in Dawson's Creek or, or a club somewhere where you could dance that was a, <laughs> right uh, that right. was
1: me pretty much right
0: <laughs> now so your sister saw this from far away and you you know you said that you were using the alcohol to go to sleep yeah right, at that right point
1: night? i had like come out of a really bad breakup and i was just really rough in that season of life and she just saw how how badly i was like suffering and i really was in a deep depression at that time. And she kind of reached out and was like, listen, you're using alcohol, which means you're using a depressant to try to fall asleep. And she challenged me to, instead of using alcohol to go to sleep, to pray instead. Because if I was using a depressant to go to sleep, then the next morning I was only going to wake up feeling more depressed. And so I maybe had a little bit of conviction over that. <laughs> and that first night after she said it, I it was kind of the end of my... Definitely the end of my partying days, almost all of my drinking days at that point. Wow. So. So
0: then you're like, I, look, I don't want to... I'm not going to waste any more of my life, right. a whopping two years. But, you know, you seem like a long time to you then. It
1: definitely. And I had done enough trauma in those two years to myself but. <laughs> It was definitely time to move on. I always say, when people who like maybe don't know me that well or realize that I don't drink, I'm like, listen, I drank enough in two years to last me the rest of my life. I'm good to go. <laughs> I promise.
0: So you're like, I don't, want, I don't want drinking. I don't want boys. And then six months later, um, you met my best friend.
1: I did. <laughs> yep.
0: And he turned into your best friend. Yeah, it.
1: dang it. <laughs> Yep. I had just kind of said that I was going to commit my time and my efforts to the Lord. I'd wasted enough time and emotion and things that I didn't want to waste time. And so I kind of wrote off dating like exclusively and being like in a committed relationship until I thought it was somebody I would marry. And then I, six months later, I met Adam. <laughs> so,
0: not me, Adam.
1: Not her, him, Adam. His best friend, Adam. There's a lot of Adams lot in my of... life. <laughs>
0: So you started getting involved in, at that point, in church again. Yeah, You started going to the vineyard. Um, you were plugged yeah. in there. You got engaged. You went to a, a, um, Adam's Childhood Church. Mm-hmm. Deeply involved there. Yeah. You talk about how um, during your young adult years, you, there was a program at that church that taught you a bunch of spiritual things that um, you didn't know and kind of gave you a, a freedom to be able to express and, and do stuff. And so you you became... You were just plugged in back in the church again.
1: Yeah. And it was different. You know, like I had an actual moment where, you know, I would say in second grade is when I asked Jesus into my heart, you know, during a chapel at Worthington Christian Elementary School. But rededicating my life at 20 is really when there was a pivotal change in like the Lord stepping in and bringing me out of like the mess that I got myself into. Mm -hmm. And that made a pivotal change in my life. And I've never really looked back, thankfully. It's just always been full speed ahead.
0: Now, during that time, your uh, boyfriend went to the police academy. He did. He graduated. Then you guys got engaged. And all of a sudden, you're the wife of a police officer. I am. And early in that time, or in your dating or engagement years, you were stopped by a police procession yes of an officer who was killed, yeah, and that was kind of a a pivotal moment yeah, for when you. he
1: was in the academy, officer Brian Hurst was killed working special duty, and so the recruits had to go and work the funeral um, it was at grace it would be grace polaris now i believe because they needed a big church obviously for those sorts of funerals so i couldn't get the day off work but i was driving to work and it was pouring down rain and i'll never forget the moment but i was stopped by the processional so you know those funerals are huge and people come from all over the state and sometimes out of state so i was stopped by car after car with their lights on and everything for that processional and i just remember sitting there and crying and then it was like the lord spoke you know adam and i had only been dating for a little over a year i didn't know we were going to get married i didn't know anything but the lord spoke to me and just said you know there you don't need to be afraid like you don't need to have fear over him i know the number of his days and no one is ever going to jump out and do something or hurt him or do anything without me knowing i already Mm -hmm. know so there's no reason to be afraid so in that moment I'm really thankful for that moment because I think it's allowed me to live in a huge freedom that not everybody gets. That I don't really have fear over his job every day. It's not like he leaves and I like worry about him all day long. He leaves, he goes to work, just like anybody else <laughs> who goes to work and I don't think much of it.
0: And I've been on a lot of ride along <laughs> with him over the years, and there's some crazy stuff. I've been on the news a number of times with him. Yes, you have. On murder scenes and arrests and not because I wanted to be on the news, but just because I was on a ride along that he showed up at, and there's was plenty of cause to be freaked out, from my <laughs> opinion, on like what what happens in that environment. But for, but for 15 years, it was basically you didn't even think about it. Like you said, nope. you just thought he goes, he's going to work like a factory worker's going to work or yeah, an accountant's he's been, going he's to been work. been
1: involved in things that you know have been more serious, and it's still just it's never it's never rocked me or. Shook me in any way just because the Lord spoke that to me that one day, even before I knew we were even going to get married. I've always been able to just rely on that.
0: And then 2020.
1: And then 2020.
0: And so we all know what happened in May. Yeah. Um, Your words, the disgusting event with George Floyd. Right. And that basically law enforcement took the wrath of... A series of individuals that didn't behave properly. Right. And your world was... That kind of shook you guys.
1: Yeah, my world, I would say for the first time, really. It happened a little bit before one other time. But really was like upside down at this level. And I think part of that is just because social media is so fluid now. It's so... Everything so fast and you see everyone's thoughts, opinions, or they jump on or everybody thinks everything's true just because they read it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. So, you know, that was, it was a little bit different. And I think it was just a different level of backlash on law enforcement than it had been ever since I've been a police wife, which is almost you know i've been the opposite not a wife but the opposite of law enforcement for almost 18 years this mm-hmm. year so
0: and so i mean you guys went through some crazy stuff then with the riots and personal endangerment and to your family and threats against your husband um and you didn't have anyone to go to because you guys were isolated because you were part of the bad police. I think it crew. was the first
1: moment that I realized there there literally is no support. Like I've been, you know, the opposite like I said of law enforcement for almost 18 years and or 17 years, I guess it would be. 17 years. And so we've always been with CPD, but there was no support. There was nothing. So, I think it was the first moment that I felt completely isolated because unless you are law enforcement, you don't understand the dynamics of our home or the realities of what they do every day. And just, I don't know, you just don't understand it unless you've been a part of it. So, and having to, I mean, having to rehome while all that's going on and getting to talk to him like, Maybe five minutes every 18 hours, not really knowing what's going on. That was a little bit of a different experience for me. So, yeah, there was a moment that I realized I'm alone. Even even like talking to my own family members, like my immediate family members, they try to understand, but you don't because they're not in our home. They don't get it. Like, mm-hmm.
0: so. My wife always says, hey, you're not a nurse. You can't, you don't, you can't understand. Right, it.
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, okay. So you ended up reaching out to a national support group because you're like, I I need to talk to someone. People are angry. They're saying really things that are hurting me individually because my husband's not like that. Mm -hmm. And so you reached out to this national group.
1: So I like was desperate to find something that I could connect to. And be human with, because the amount of anxiety that I was feeling, which I'd never had before, ever in my life, this level of anxiety, I I needed something to do with my hands, I needed, because if you're the opposite of law enforcement as a spouse, we generally do most of our life alone because they're working which is no big deal lots of careers do that but we generally do most of our life alone which means we are doers Mm -hmm. we are not people that sit around and do nothing we're doers because we're running kids or we're making a household run or we're doing whatever so I felt very out of my element to not be at my home and to not be comfortable and to not have anything to do with my hands at the moment and I couldn't even do the normal things because I wasn't even home So I was reaching out and trying to find some sort of support and somehow the Lord brought me to the National Police Wives Association. So I jumped on one of their, they had private Zoom peer support calls. So I jumped on one of those and that's when this whole journey began.
0: (laughs) So, and that is, and I I want to talk about this journey because it's been a crazy journey for you basically in less than two years going from... I don't mind. My husband disappears at work, comes home. You know, we have dinner. He grills to meeting with senators, meeting with mayors, meeting with, you know, being interviewed on television shows. That, like, that all happened in the past 20, 22 months. Crazy, isn't it? So, um one of the things that you say is there's not a lot of understanding on of what officers actually do. Right. It's it it was easy for the narrative to be here's what officers do and when you you started meeting with community leaders and you started to 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 find out that 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 was a theme.
1: Yeah, we had the opportunity by partnering with the National Police Wives Association and beginning our organization, we had the opportunity to uh, be the voice for law enforcement, but also be like bridging a, building a bridge, basically. So,
0: you're not a bunch of angry wives who are right, h- die hard blue, right? You're trying to build a bridge.
1: Yes. So that's one of the things that has ruffled the feathers of many people around us who were like, "Oh, yes, go do it," when really. Jesse and I were the only ones willing to go do it. We tried to pass it off actually a few times, <laughs> thinking we weren't qualified Jesse's to Jesse's your it. president. Jesse is the president, yes. I met Jesse Burr on the peer support call with National because it was literally crickets when they were like, when Kelly, the national president said, who's gonna go? When these city leaders call, when we send letters, who's gonna go meet with them? And it was like crickets. So I- You
0: opened your mouth. I
1: opened my mouth. <laughs> No surprise, right? But it was my first time on a call, so I very tentatively opened my mouth and said, well, I'd be willing. And I'll never forget Marlene, who was on the call with us from National. She's on their board. She lives in New York. Um, She said, don't you hesitate. If you feel called to do this and you feel like you're qualified, then you are qualified and you stand up and you do it. Don't Mm -hmm. even hesitate. If you're willing, you're going to do it. So that was really encouraging to me of like, oh, yeah, I can do this. So then Jesse and I, who had never met before, who are now like she's my best friend. We began meeting and meeting with National. And so then that led to us be having the opportunity to meet with the mayor and, you know, some city council members and a few of the senators and things like that. But
0: Now, OK, so let's go back after Floyd. Yes. No government official wanted to talk to anybody from the law right. infor- they, right. they, they they were trying to isolate themselves, We had the defund programs going all over the United States, so th- there wasn't even an opportunity for either side to hear their story behind it right so you you guys, one hundred and sixty thousand members in the national organization, started sending these truth letters to government officials
1: that's correct right to say,
0: can we just sit down and talk
1: so Kelly is a big proponent of who is the president of national is a big proponent of. Um, my response is my responsibility. That's what she teaches us. We say it constantly. So it holds us accountable. So she is a big proponent of we are bridge builders or we will never move forward as a community in all the small communities nationally. So if we can't have all all people sitting at the table, if we can't have everybody at the table, and at that time... Nobody wanted an FOP member. Nobody wanted an FOP leader. Nobody wanted anybody from law enforcement to sit down at a civilian review board, to sit down at any of these meetings. They were not willing. So we, she drafted a truth campaign letter that we all sent to all the leaders. <laughs> Many times, email, snail mail, finally they started answering us. And it was basically just saying, hey, we need a seat at the table. That's it. We need a seat at the table. We're not saying that. Police reform doesn't need to happen. We're saying that all voices need to be heard because unless you understand policing, you can't make choices about policing.
0: Yeah. In fact, some of the stuff that you saw said, if we don't have police reform, our our spouses aren't going to be able... Because of s- stuff that they face on a day-to-day basis, they have nowhere to go to get help for it.
1: Yeah, there's, no, there's not good... Uh, the amount of trauma that they encounter... And we need better mental health supports for our officers, for sure. I mean, like, the rates of our suicide are getting close to some years they're exceeding are in the line of duty death. So that's absurd. Just that as many officers
0: happening. dying from the self-inflicted as are getting shot exactly. in the line of duty.
1: yes. So that's absurd.
0: And you shared a stat that the average person over their life sees one and a half to two critical incidents. Compared to what was the number for a 20-year veteran? For a
1: 20-year patrol officer veteran, it's over 800 critical (laughs) incidents that they have to manage or be in charge of and deal with the trauma.
0: So 400 to 500 times as many incidents as the average person sees.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, man. And
1: you got to think the dynamic of, like, you've done a ride-along, the dynamic of that 8 to 10-hour shift how many different calls you go to, and how different they are, and the situations, and the adrenaline, and the level of threat, and the things that are happening, the trauma that you see to children. Right, it's ridiculous.
0: So okay, so let's go back. You did these truth letters, yes. and then you saw that that the officers needed support. You did this uh, Heart for Heroes campaign.
1: Yes, Nas- national. Um, decided that Columbus Police Department could use a morale boost. And so they created Hearts for Heroes and they sent it out nationally to all of their members. So from across the country, we started having hearts pour in and they were just cut out hearts that have um, Bible verses or it would have a picture that a three-year-old drew or just encouraging words for an officer. So we went in on Thank a Police Officer Day in 2020 and two of their board members actually came down to support us, which was incredible. And we went around and we had 50 hearts for every substation, every specialty unit, everything within Columbus. So, and another thing that happened was Operation Gratitude out of California reached out to us and said they wanted to donate and they they support first responders and military. And so they also sent, I think it was two or three pallets of goods. So right after (laughs) Thank a Police Officer Day, we did a whole drop of like bags of goodies From hand sanitizer to toiletries to everything, which came in handy sometimes with the amount of protests that were downtown when we would go down and feed or do whatever with officers. We had supplies for them to put in their bags.
0: Yeah. Now, so during this time, you're building momentum. You got to meet with president of the the city council, Shannon Hardin. Mm -hmm. You met with Elizabeth Brown, some others. It was a pretty watershed moment that you got them to to do some stuff that you didn't know going in. Yeah,
1: I mean, one of the things that we do when we do meet with them, I think they're all surprised when they meet with us because we don't come angry. We're Mm -hmm. not just there to complain to them. We come, we try to support and encourage ideas that they're already working on and things that they've already done that they have, you know, on their resume that we think is great. We try to encourage in those areas and then we try to bring awareness to policing, and we actually ask for them to do ride-alongs and ask for them to kind of take part in educating themselves more about policing so that when they go to speak or make, you know, choices regarding policing and a civilian review board and all of those things, that they would include some of the new knowledge when they go to change things. Mm -hmm. So Shannon Harden actually Obliged, and he did a ride along um, with the Clinton Township officer, which was amazing that he got to go. Clinton Township is within North Linden area, so you can look that up in Columbus. It's a really one of big, our roughest neighborhoods, one of our roughest areas. Yes, yeah,
0: who, and your husband was on patrol there for a long time. Yes. Um. So when we when you think about the communities, and you know, I think about all of these people that i see on the ride-alongs that are looking for help against some really rotten people in their communities yeah and you know they just they want to live safe there too so in order to be an effective police officer they have to get embedded in those communities and that's a big thing that I think a lot of people don't know, right? Is yeah, I, that... I
1: think that people don't understand how we hear the term community policing or community engagement. And uh, in those rougher areas like in North London or like on the hilltop, in Columbus particularly, I mean, that's the only city I can speak for personally with CPD officers, the officers are deeply rooted in those communities. And you, you would know if you look at the statistics of what they get between drugs, narcotics, and all those things. But they're deeply rooted because, like I can tell you, my husband's phone goes off 24-7. I can't even
0: go on a fishing trip without him talking to a CI.
1: (laughs) It will go off all hours of the night with people reaching out to him from the community within where he's policing. And he would not be as successful of an officer if he did not have that community engagement. There, There are... Opportunities. I think what was I explained to you that we did a Christmas initiative last year, and we got to go in. uh, We being myself, Jesse, Santa Claus.
0: In 2020, you as a police family, yes, went into the inner city and spent time with a family.
1: Yes. So our organization provided Christmas for them. And we had assistance last year with the National. They donated funds, and then we also were able to collect funds. Um, this is one of the things we did. We also worked with a human trafficking home called Grace Haven, which I know you're familiar with. Um, but we, we provided their Christmas. We provided their Christmas dinner and all of that stuff and went in Christmas Eve morning, and Santa Claus delivered the presents. No. But I will say this, walking away from that, one, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had to actually be within the community that he polices. Mm-hmm. Actually be, we hung out there for a few hours and got to, you know, sh- the mom there got to see me as a real person. And I got to hug and embrace her and her kids and hang out with them and see her as a real person. So mm-hmm. that's right there, a great bridge building activity that we can take part in but also i didn't know this was going on but as i entered the home jesse was walking up with adam and adam was pointing out going that's a dope house that's a dope house that's a dope house so meaning this woman is doing her best to raise her children and and keep them in sports so they stay out of trouble and do everything she can to keep them on a straight and narrow path for success but she's surrounded because of her situation by some really scary not good things mm-hmm. and dope houses and other things going on that she's trying to keep her kids out of that activity not to mention the gun violence that's there right. in columbus so right. that's that's the community that he cares about he com- cares about her home her kids he stops by to see those kids that's not the only family that he's connected to there's mm-hmm. many and he's just one officer in that small community within columbus so They're very, very dedicated and deeply rooted in their communities.
0: One of the things that you shared with me, and these are my words, not your words, um, is that you would love it if both sides would hear each other without bringing the emotional charge to the conversation to say, hey, okay, we we, we understand. It's not ideal right now, but let's just talk. Let's build a bridge. I think one of the things that's so unique about your organization, and although you're not not a faith-based organization Faith is a big part of each of your board members' lives.
1: Yes, we have four board members and we are all believers. So we do not, again, have a faith-based organization, but that doesn't mean that, you know, Jesus isn't leading the pack for us (laughs) or leading the charge, you know. So our hearts are very deeply rooted in what the Holy Spirit can do here just because we're willing to be loving and Christ-like and extend in that way instead of just extending as a police wife you know
0: let's talk a little bit about support we mentioned it earlier for officers but you talk about support for families when they're going through stuff yeah so you as an organization provide help to families because a lot of times the families aren't even thought about it's the police that's getting yeah put everywhere like
1: obviously for us Uh, we aren't just CPD. I speak for CPD because I'm part of the CPD family, but we are all of central Ohio. And honestly, it's gone bare than that. We're all over Ohio. But um, we come in and try to be support with critical incident and whatever that critical incident may be. So we went to... Louisiana this summer and got training through the national. We went to a leadership summit through National Police Wives Association and we're trained in all kinds of different critical incident situations. Whether it be from national disaster, because Baton Rouge has national disaster. So we learned all of that too, if we were ever in that situation, to rioting, to critical incidents, that sort of thing. So one of the things that we do is if there is an officer that is killed in the line of duty then we will go and support that family. We had that happen recently. We had an officer in Nelsonville that they had never had in the line of duty death. She had no idea how to manage any of it. The department had no idea how to manage any of it because there's only 13 officers there. So Jessie has been a great liaison to go down and support her. We just met with her last weekend to give her some Christmas things because they didn't have enough for Christmas. So Mm -hmm. she's just trying to cover all of that. So that's one thing we do. We also come in uh, if a family has lost their officer to suicide, which is obviously we stated before a very huge thing. And we try to connect them nationally with an organization called Blue Help that comes in and supports families and children after that sort of experience. They try to get there before, but if they cannot before a suicide happens, then they will come in after and try to help support that family. And also if an officer is involved in a critical incident, say, shooting then we will go in and support that family because the officer will be in that situation and has to go through all the steps with the department that they're with say be it cpd or whatever and no matter the outcome of the shooting we feel like supporting the family that spouse and their children is huge because they weren't that day. They did not sign up to do that job. They still need support. And, and there's safety issues involved there a lot of times after a critical incident happens. And then also they just need the support for their kids a lot of times because that's a lot to have your family in the news and, and you know be overwhelmed that way. So that's mm. another way that we support the officers.
0: Man, if you haven't been or heard this side you know of conversation from a police family member's perspective and some of the stuff that goes on it's it's easy not to know what's happening and you know, I asked you before the interview what would you what would be considered utopia and you talked about if we could just get more families engaged in community and a conversation so that the narrative um, is isn't being controlled by outside forces. That that would be really good for you. What what is something that leaders could do right now that would be helpful to what you're, what you guys work towards?
1: Um, for us as an organization, you know, we're looking for opportunities to be able to serve. That's one of our, I mean, core pillars is service so we have support we have advocacy obviously but then service is huge to us that's why we got involved with the group home grace haven and being able knowing that those teenagers of human trafficking have maybe not had the best experience with law enforcement. So we go in and we do events with them and get to love on them and they get to experience a different side. So having the opportunity to serve in ways that are actually meaningful, not just us coming in and saying, here's what we have to offer you, Mm -hmm. but rather, what do you need help with? Mm -hmm. We want the opportunity to help and grow so that, again, we have opportunities like we did that Christmas last year, To engage and see each other as human beings instead of what the media narrative puts out of either side. We'd rather just engage face to face instead of my side is this or your side is this. Let's just love one another as human beings right Mm. now. Let's just, you know, connect and help kind of lift one another up so that there is success in those communities.
0: So if a leader wants to think of a service opportunity that yeah, that'd be you great. guys could partner with, that'd be great. You've done multiple speaking engagements all over television, live, um, that I'm sure you guys would not decline. No, abs- any opportunity
1: that. to speak. And it, w- it's not even a speaking of like, Hey, here we are. We don't always even <laughs> want to be recognized. Like if I'm coming to serve, I don't always need to be recognized as law enforcement. Yeah. I would rather have relationships organically grow before that even has to come out because one of the things that happened during the riots which nobody would expect really except if you're a law enforcement wife i guarantee that you experienced the private messaging that happened all the time of them knowing that you they posted what they posted but then they would send you a direct message saying But not your officer because I know he would never do that. She would never do that. So then I started to really process that actually this year because it's taken me that long to process 2020. And I started to realize, well, the reason they feel that way is because they know my officer. They know them as a human being, as a friend at church, as a dad who shows up to help coach baseball. They don't know him in uniform. They know him as a human. So I started to realize that's the biggest problem Problem is that we don't know each other as humans you only see one side and that goes both sides law enforcement officers show up to calls and they go from call to call and they only see people at the worst moments with the highest trauma and sometimes it's the same house over and over so you got to think it would be healthy for them to engage in some service opportunities in regular clothing To see those people in a normal situation, not at their lowest moment, just as much as it would be healthy for those communities to see me as a wife come in with my kids and engage in regular service opportunities or whatever it would be. Whatever we're going to do. Maybe we're going to make a craft together for Christmas. Who cares what it is? But, you know just being able to engage and live life together not make it this big in uniform out of uniform that's the biggest right. thing is we're not humanizing one another yeah. i know everybody says humanizing the badge but it goes both ways mm-hmm. the badge also has to humanize the community beyond those traumatic moments
0: right so if people wanted to get a hold of you how could they or your organization how could they do that
1: um we have to we have a public facebook page that you can like and go to and you can message us through that anytime if you are law enforcement uh, supporter or family member there's two different uh, private pages family members meaning you could be a spouse an adult child or a mom and dad and you could of law enforcement and you can be part of that and we do peer support calls and do all kinds of different sometimes we do bible studies just depends and then the supporters page is a private group but It has like over a thousand people in it that just, you know, if you want to know what's going on that we're doing or how you can engage or donate to what we're doing, because of course we have huge Christmas initiatives and things, you can find us there. We're working on a website right now, so eventually that'll be coming. But again, we're such a baby organization. It's one step at a time.
0: Well, I can't imagine having an organization like this that didn't have faith-based leaders running it on biblical principles and actually doing things that Christ advocated for when he walked on the earth. So for you and Jesse and the other women that are leading this, thank you. And I know you're just wanting to make our city better. Uh, Our officers want to make our city better. So thank you for your work and thank you for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Also, rating and reviewing us on iTunes helps get the word out.